Pastor's kids are stereotypically the worst kids. They are supposed to be the ones who rebel. And the reason why that happens so much is because the preacher dad is a hypocrite. And so um, he says basically one thing on Sunday, and he does something different during the week. And so this morning, I want to give my children an opportunity for full-blown rebellion. I got my three oldest in here. The other three can rebel later. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about gentleness. And at home, around my family... I'm not always the most gentle guy. Something I struggle with, something by God's grace, He's making me more gentle. Maybe you're the same way. You're not the most gentle person. In fact, you may be a little mean. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for an entire overhaul. An overhaul of my, my mind, and my heart, and my hands, and my speech. This is kind of the terminology we used this past spring in our prelude to revival. We talked about God transforming our minds by renewal and then transforming our hearts and then making our hands and actions and speech. And in line with gentleness, this is where we're going to go today. Let me put it up for you. We're talking about a humble mind, a tender heart, and gentle hands. And of course, that includes speech. Because I don't know about you, but it's not going to help me for you just to tell me, be gentle. Not going to work for me, probably not going to work for you. We need to go in for the entire overhaul where we are actually thinking gentleness, where we're actually, in a sense, feeling gentleness and acting gentleness. And in order to do this, we are going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, just look on the U version or someone next to you. We typically preach through books of the Bible, as I say all the time, and in a few weeks we're going to start Romans, and I would rather start Romans today. In fact, I would like to kick gentleness out of the way, but that wouldn't be very gentle. And in fact, I believe that God has plans for me, plans for you, things he wants to do to change us. And I think a great example of change is the Apostle Peter. In fact, it's Peter's book and letter we're looking at this morning. And if you know anything about the Apostle Peter, he's not known for Mr. Gentle. Yeah? In fact, on one occasion, Peter rebuked Jesus. Not a good idea to rebuke the Son of God. And that's what Peter did. But he has changed, and now he is writing to this church about gentleness, and of course he's going to talk a lot about gentle actions, but he's also going to say, you know, it has something to do with your thinking, has something to do with what's going on in your heart, and it's there we're going to start. So we're going to look at a lot of verses today, First Peter chapter 3, 1 through 17, but let's start right in the middle of the passage by looking at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, Brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, there's a lot of virtues running together here, but let's lock on the fact 
that gentleness comes out of a person with, check it out there, a humble mind. If you are harsh with others, chances are you have a proud mind. And a person with a proud mind basically is trying to hold on to and enforce their agenda. And so when someone crosses your agenda and life is all about you and your agenda, you're probably going to lash out at them. It's what we do. It's, it's like our natural instinct to lash out because our agenda has been crossed. Maybe your roommate's being too loud and you yell at them or someone in traffic cuts you off and you start cussing at them and gesturing at them. It's because your agenda has been crossed and you lash out. That's the proud mind. But the humble mind says, you know what? We're going to take in another agenda. And that's what Peter's been getting at in this book. And we're not going through it, of course, but Peter is giving us another agenda, and that agenda is God's agenda. And just to kind of summarize real quick, Peter has said throughout his book, you're no longer in darkness, you're now in light. You have been redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus. That, of course, humbles you. And now that you are saved and humbled, you are now going to love other people. So now you are working out of a different agenda, not your proud, arrogant agenda, but a humble agenda that says, I've been saved, I cannot believe it, praise God. Now I'm here to serve other people. And so I want you to ask yourself, day-to-day basis, whose agenda are you operating out of? Your own proud agenda or God's humble agenda? What's going on in your thinking? Let's move to your heart. Look at verse 8 again. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. One of my favorite uh, scholars is Wayne Grudem. Maybe some of you know him. He has a great uh, explanation of tender heart I'd like to put up for you. He explains that tender heart is a caring, compassionate, not only in actions, but even more in one's feelings or emotions. Did you catch that? One's feelings or emotions. And you know that the Spirit of God is starting to do a work in your heart when you start to feel sympathy or empathy for other people. You know the Spirit of God is stirring you up when you actually care for someone. You feel for them. You want to know what's going on inside their life, and you are sensitive to them. And I think the way that this happens is when we start to discover how valuable people are and how fragile they are. It's like a little combo of value and being fragile. Last Saturday, my, my family, we, my wife and I, we, we attempted to do this garage sale. And I say attempted to do a garage sale because it, it rained and it Rain is not good for garage sales. And, and while we were preparing for this garage sale, we're in our garage going through all our junk, and we found some of these drinking glasses that we got for our, uh, when we got married like 100 years ago. And so we have these glasses, and we just kind of just threw them out in our garage. They're, they weren't, they were like barely in some old towels, and they were clanging together. And when we would move them, we, we would both talk about how nervous we were because they're valuable, and, and yet they're also very, very fragile. And, and if you make that connection to people and you start to have a tender heart, you'll say, okay, you have value, but you're also fragile. 
It's great on Sunday morning you're sitting next to people, maybe you don't even know them, but maybe they have something going on right now, and if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, there's this cracking and breaking going on inside of them. But those of us who have a tender heart are aware that people are valuable and yet fragile. And as I was studying for this, God brought this picture to my mind, which I don't like it, but this picture of, of myself in the eighth grade. Now, in the eighth grade, I grew up in Texas, and one of the things that the, uh, the coaches and the teachers could do back then is they could give you some serious spanks with a wood paddle. This is Texas. No messing around. This is not soft stuff, all right? It's probably still legal, all right, in Texas. So the athletic coach would give us spanks with the paddle if we got Fs because, you know, you want the athletes to get good grades. They don't get good grades. You spank them. And so what would happen, we go in the locker room, all the athletes are gathered around, and they're hooping and hollering as each one's being called up for their F, and they're getting whopped. And it came to my time. Called my name. was getting an F in math still not good at math, and I got a bad grade, and so I went up to the coach, and I wasn't happy, I wasn't smiling, I wasn't hollering like everybody else, I was just moping, and I went up, and I leaned over him, and he went, pop, barely touched me, barely, barely hit, he's wailing on the other guys, barely touched me, I stand up, he starts going off of me. How dare you come up here with an attitude like that? He was just berating me and dressing me down in front of all those guys. Made me look terrible. But what the coach did not know, that even though I'm cool and I'm in eighth grade, back at home, mom just left. Parents are going through a divorce. He doesn't know what his words are doing to me. He didn't know the fragile nature, even though I've got this cool exterior when we start to have a tender heart, we start to see people, most of you are going through stuff. And when we have a tender heart, we say, okay, you're valuable, but you're also fragile, and I want to be gentle with you in my interactions. How's your thinking? Is it humble or proud? What's your agenda doing? How's your heart? Is it sympathetic toward others? You see how they're valuable and fragile. Now we're, what we're about to do is we're starting to get into the actions. And Peter says a lot about gentle actions. But do not leave your thinking, humble mind, tender heart behind because that impacts the way we treat others. And what Peter's going to do, he's going to talk about the husband-wife relationship, gentleness. He's going to talk about what do you do when you're criticized. And then he's going to talk about suffering for your faith. And what we're going to begin with is the husband-wife relationship. Now, I know... That the husband-wife relationship sometimes can be very volatile and sometimes it can be very harsh. And chances are, don't raise your hand, but some of the husbands and wives in here right now got into it. Not only this weekend, but you got into it this morning. It's classic. Right before the church, husband and wives are supposed to yell at each other. I don't know why that happens. Sunday morning. And Peter's going to show what gentleness looks like in the husband and wife relationship. Now, I know... Probably 60, 70% of the people in here are not married, but most of you will be married one day. And so what we want to talk about is what does it look like for you to be gentle and develop that heart of gentleness now? And it's what's interesting is that some of you even have been married uh, probably like two, three, four weeks ago. Some of you two, three, four months ago. Most of, I mean, a lot of you under one year. 
and you want to know what does it look like to be married and to be gentle to one another. So what we have before us this morning is a very controversial passage. It's controversial, I'm just telling you. And I, I would say that a significant portion of you are new. You kind of don't know what our church is about. And, and maybe after today, you may consider leaving our church and never coming back again. <laughs> but before you do that, please keep in mind, if, if someone asks you why you left our church, you have to say you left because the preacher was preaching about gentleness. It's going to make you look terrible. So don't leave, all right? <laughs> don't leave. Don't leave. But I really want you to pay attention to this passage because it is controversial. It is tough. And I'm not going to explain everything you want to hear in this passage, but we believe the Word of God, and we have a marriage class starting next week, and they can flesh all this out. So I'm not going to explain everything, but get ready. Don't throw stuff at me. It's the Word of God. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject. Another version would be be submissive to your own husbands. So that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. All right, let's just stop there. It's a lot to take in. Okay. The way God has set up the husband and wife relationship is the husband is supposed to sacrificially lead as Christ leads the church. And the wife is to submit to the leadership of her husband as the church does to Christ. Now, before I go any further, I must say that I used to do this world-famous wedding sermon. I think I retired it at our sound guy's uh, wedding. It was the last time I did this uh, sermon. But at, this, at these weddings, I would, you know, weddings are crazy. There's a lot going on. So I give the bride one word to think about, and then I would give the husband one word to think about. And the word that I'd always give the husband to think about every day in his marriage is the word death. I would say, every day, I want you to think about death at a wedding. And the reason why I would do that is because the Bible says is that the, the husband is to sacrificially lead his wife like Christ does the church. And what did Christ do? Christ laid down his life for the church. And so the husband, every day, is, is to die to himself and think about how he can serve his wife. And I know that it is not popular to talk about submission, but I want to say Guys have a far rougher job in marriage. Women have to submit. Guys have to die. All right? So we got the bad end of things. So complain all you want, but guys need to sacrificially serve their wives. So now let's move on to the submission issue. Submission does not mean that men and women are not equal. Does not mean that at all. Submission does not mean that women are to submit to all the men in the world. No. It does not mean that a woman cannot be boss at work. But at home, she's to follow the leadership of her husband. This doesn't mean that she never speaks. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have input. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have an opinion. She can speak, have input, have an opinion. It doesn't mean that she follows her husband into sin. It does not mean that she endures an abusive relationship. No, no, no. But in the home, the man is called to be the leader. And the wife is called to be subjective, be submissive to her husband, even if he doesn't believe. There's the real kicker right there. Even if he doesn't believe. And she's not supposed to badger him. 
but she's supposed to submit to him, even if he doesn't believe. Look at the rest of the passage. Verse 2. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a, you see it there, gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, this is not saying that women can't dress up. This is not saying they can't braid their hair, they can't wear gold. It's not, not saying that. It's saying that the focus is to be on the heart. Did you catch it? The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. The opposite of a gentle and quiet spirit is the nagging wife in the book of Proverbs. The nagging wife in the book of Proverbs, she is mean. She is nagging. She is argumentative. In fact, the Bible says that she's so terrible to live with that the husband wants to go live on the corner of a roof. Ladies, ask your husband, do you want to live on the roof? And if they say yes, something's going on. Gentle, quiet, spirit. It's beautiful in God's sight. And when it's missing... It can cause a lot of problems. I'm going to tell you an amazing story I read in the Wall Street Journal, and I cannot believe this was in there. This is a great story. It's about the volleyball player, Gabrielle Reese. Maybe some of you know her back in the day. She used to be a professional volleyball player, and she is married to a professional surfer, Laird Hamilton. She got married in 1997. Why wow, this story fascinates me. I was also married in 1997. So she and her husband married in 1997. They had some kids. And four years into her marriage, she files for divorce. But she never went through with it. She pulled back, and this is what she did. She started to change her view of what marriage should look like. She started to change her view of gender roles in marriage in the form of service. And that was many years ago. But this spring, she stirred up a lot of controversy by a certain book that she wrote and a quote that she had in the book. Now, I'm not going to show you this quote just yet. I want to make sure you get this. Before I tell you this quote, she is 6'3". You do not mess with her. She, she leads an exercise class in Manhattan where that class will make you full of muscles or it will kill you. This is not the picture of a weak woman. But this is what she said. Here's her quote. To be truly feminine means being soft, receptive, and look out. Here it comes. Submissive. She made so many people mad. Her good friend said that she may as well have said that she worships the devil. Because people were so upset that she's setting back women all these years. And she's basically saying, in marriage, there are certain roles. And the way that she describes it in her marriage, the what it particularly looks like, she started to adopt a service-oriented role toward her husband, and it changed everything. And here's the real kicker. 
she's not a believer. From what I found, I cannot see that she's a believer. If that's the way she's functioning, how much more the women of God who follow Christ, his word is very clear. To be in their home, and everything is not perfect. They're not perfect. Their husband's not perfect. Husband may not even be leading. But say, you know what? I'm going to... You lead, I'm going to adopt a service-oriented role. I'm going to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And Peter kind of gives hope that things actually may change, that the husband may be won over. So rather than being harsh and trying to get your husband's act together, perhaps a gentle and quiet spirit may change him in the long run. Let's move on to verse 7. Rather than skip it, let's talk to the husbands now. They play a gentle role as well. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, do not be thrown off by the wording of woman as the weaker vessel. She is not lesser. In fact, Peter says that she is an heir with the husband for eternal life. So when it says the weaker vessel, it's probably just a reference to physical strength in general, which we know from the headlines around the world, men take advantage of women and abuse them in many ways. And Peter says, not so you. Christian men, you're different. You are to live with your wife in an understanding way. Men, you are to be gentle. You are to be sensitive to the needs and concerns of your wife. You are to be gentle in speech and in tone and in action. And guys in here who are not married, if you are a jerk in your dating relationship, I give your girlfriend permission to punch you in the nose. That's not very gentle. But man, I want to tell you something. As a single, you've got to get this one down. You've got to learn to treat women with respect and gentleness and kindness. It will serve you well within marriage. And look, look what it says again in verse 7. It says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Guys, did you catch that? If you are harsh with your wife, God will not listen to your prayers. Totally. He's like, there's a connection between the way you treat your wife and the way I'm going to treat you. You're mean to her, not going to listen to your prayers. That's pretty serious stuff. The way you treat your wife matters spiritually. Can you imagine every prayer you offer up? God's like, nope, 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 I'm not listening. I'm not even listening to you. I'm not even going to talk to you. It matters the way we treat our wives. Many years ago, uh, it, I was just thinking about this guy, Wayne Grudem, because I quoted him earlier. He, do you, you know this Wayne Grudem guy? He's one of my favorite theologians. He was a top theologian up here at, at Trinity Seminary. I would say at the top of his game, systematic theology, he was out selling, you know, hundreds of thousands, and maybe some of you even had him as a professor. Well, during this time, top of his game, top seminaries in the world, his wife was in an accident, and she just couldn't function very well. She didn't feel, feel good. Her body ached. But one 
week, they went down to their friends in Phoenix, Arizona, who let them borrow their house. So they went down there, and she noticed that when she was there, her body started to work again because <laughs> it's hot there. And she could function. She felt great then. But when she'd come back to the cold weather, just her body would not function well. And, 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 and what they talked about is that Wayne was thinking this. A scripture passage came to his mind. Let me put it up for you. It's in the book of Ephesians. And it says this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And Wayne was thinking, if my body was hurting, I would take care of, so I should take care of my wife's body. So they made the decision that he needed to move from world-class seminary in Chicago to Phoenix, to a little dinky seminary called Phoenix Seminary. And Wayne said that when he visited, his personal library was bigger than the seminary library. There's like four professors on staff there. So he gives up world-class seminary, moves down there. Why? He's living with his wife in an understanding way. Tender heart, humble mind. Marriage will function no other way. Some of you have been trying to do it differently, and it's a mess. Tender heart, humble mind, gentle with one another. Now we move on to this issue of harsh criticism. What do you do when people go off on you? Whether they're believers or unbelievers, it's hard to tell in this context. But the response is to be gentleness. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Did you catch it there in verse 9 when it talks about reviling? What does reviling even mean? What well, means when someone is criticizing you in an abusive or, or angrily insulting manner? And what Peter's getting at is that with your harsh critics, you're supposed to have tender heart, humble mind, and don't strike back. But seek to bless them to keep the peace and pursue it rather than stir up trouble. In fact, it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. And as I was studying this week, you can put the husband and wife stuff aside. This is probably the, the hardest one. This is probably the hardest one. It is so difficult on how this plays out. And so I was trying to push the text this week and ask questions like, well, what if you're in church? And a position of leadership in someone in church is critical, sinfully critical. Or what if you're at work and you're in a leadership position and someone at work is trying to tear the employees all apart? Or maybe you're at your house and one of your kids is trying to rip into all the rest of the kids and tear the family apart. What do you do when you have a critical or violent spirit in these spheres where you're in leadership? How do you handle it? Well, the Bible seems to indicate that you don't go after them to bring them down and to destroy them. 
but you are to seek to bless them. And when you seek to bless them, whether it's your kids or employees or people in the world that you're interacting with, does not mean that you don't ever speak truth. But when you speak truth, you're not trying to tear down. Let me explain. I finished reading a book by Dr. Henry Cloud um, called Boundaries for Leaders. Now, Dr. Cloud is he's going to tell this story of a CEO, and I want to make sure you listen to it. This CEO, true story, not making this up. This CEO was the founder of his own manufacturing company, and he was making plans to turn this business over to his son. That's kind of sometimes what dads do. Let's turn the business over. So he had this manufacturing company, and he can turn the business over to his son. So, but one day, he's walking through his factory, and he sees his son just going off on another employee, just dogging him, talking bad about him, insulting him, and doing it all in front of the other employees. Dad sees his son. And so the dad calls the son into his office. And this is what he says to his son. This is absolutely amazing. Okay, he says this. David, I wear two hats around here. I'm the boss, and I'm your father. Right now, I'm going to put my boss hat on. You're fired. You are absolutely fired. I told you about this behavior before. You cannot treat our employees that way. I've given you warning after warning after warning. That's it. We cannot do this anymore. You are fired. And now, son, I'm going to put my father hat on. Son, I heard you just lost your job. (laughs) How can I help you? Do you see that? You have truth within boundaries and yet compassion. And speaking truth, I know it's a ridiculous story, but that you get it? That's kind of how we have to function. We have these weird roles of leadership, but those who are being very critical, whether our kids, employees, or wherever it's at, it's like, okay, I'm going to speak truth and yet have a tender heart. I'm still going to care for you. And it's not easy. I'm not saying that's easy at all, but that is the approach we to have. And so let's finish up here. The very difficult one, and mainly the main reason why Peter's writing this book, is challenges to their faith. They're being persecuted for being Christians. Finish up with verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But check it out. Yet do it with gentleness, underline it, and respect, underline it. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. As we interact with other people who don't know Jesus about our faith, there may be times where they come across aggressively. And the Bible says, speak the truth. Yes, don't run away from giving a defense. Give a defense, but do it with gentleness and respect. Even when other people are harsh and hostile, your attitude is to be one of speaking the truth in love. And I would say for my own life 
and a lot of interactions with Christians, we are not good at this. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's just a generational thing, like over the last 30, 40 years, we've not been good at this. We need to get better at this. But I don't know what the problem is. Speaking the truth with gentleness and respect. It's like we, we kind of leave out the truth. Some, some of you are just so nice to people, but you're not speaking the truth. And some of you are speaking the truth so harshly, you're not showing any gentleness or respect. Both of them are to be together. And I think a lot of us miss it, including me, for example. This past um, week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, my son started high school, public school, high school. And I knew... And I've been told that in public school, high school, there was going to be some challenges to his faith. And so I was kind of just waiting for it. It came quick. So this past week, my son comes home and he tells me that the teacher, one of his teachers, has given him a homework assignment on how he needs to explain with some specific things on how Genesis chapter 1 is a myth. And I'm like... It's on. (laughs) Let's go. You go back. This is my tone. You go back and you tell her your teacher's not a myth. And if she gives you an F, I'm going to go talk to her. And if she doesn't respond, I'm going to go talk to the principal. And, And it's like I'm ready to hire a lawyer. I'm going to the national news. Supreme Court decision on a homework assignment. I am just pumped up. He goes to school the next day, and nothing happens. Nothing comes of it. It's almost like the teacher forgot about it. And I, I just don't know where that came from, and I don't know why we get so fighty, right? We Christians, like, I mean, they're picking on Christians all the time. I'm tired of them picking on us. I mean, we just want to lash out. Where does that come from? I don't know. Gentleness, respect, speaking the truth. Are we not trying to win them to Christ? Do we not want them to follow Jesus? Do we hope they burn in hell forever? Like, what, what are we doing? Speak the truth with gentleness and respect. As I said before, gentleness is hard for me. It's hard for me to set aside my agenda. It's hard for me to have this tender heart. I don't know, maybe it is for you. It, it's... It's just hard for me all around. Very, very difficult. But I got some encouraging words for you as I'm finishing up. It's this. Peter wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Peter is talking about gentleness. The guy you would not think is very gentle at all. How can he do this? Because Peter had been changed. And you want to ask, how was he changed? Well, I'm about to show you. We're about to take the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper is almost, in a sense, a celebration of how Jesus changed us. And he's still changing us. And so if you came in here this morning and you've been harsh, you've been pushing your agenda, you've been rolling over people, you've been flat out mean to others, come on, come to Jesus and be forgiven. Because Jesus is not going to fight back and squash you.
He's going to welcome you for forgiveness. He's going to be gentle with you. Yes, Jesus, the Lord Jesus is going to be gentle with you. In fact, the Bible says this about him. Let it be said to you. Let me put it up for you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've come here this morning and you are a harsh, mean, destructive person, Jesus says, come on, I'm going to be gentle with you and I'm going to forgive you. And the reason why Jesus will not crush you is because the Father crushed him. Your anger, your meanness, your destructive went on Jesus on the cross. And the reason why Jesus can be gentle with you is because the Father poured out his anger and wrath for your sin on Jesus instead of you. And so when we take this bread that reminds us of his, his body being crucified on this cross, and we drink this juice that reminds us of his blood spilled for us, think in your mind, Jesus is gentle with me because the Father poured out his wrath on him. That is a great story. That is the good news. That is the gospel. Through faith in Christ, sinful, mean people get the gentleness of Jesus. Because of his death and resurrection. It's a meal for people who acknowledge their sins, who acknowledge that Jesus has forgiven them. So if you have repented of your sin, you may be new here, you may not even go to this church. If you are a follower of Jesus who embraces his gentleness through faith, you can take this meal. Just logistically follow everybody else. I have gluten-free back in that corner. We have tables over here. Just follow, follow the, the lines. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, just, just hold off on this meal. Watch what we're doing. What you're going to see, this is amazing, you're going to see a lot of mean people take communion. You will. You're going to see a lot of mean people who are starting to get transformed by Jesus. We're not perfect. We still have harshness issues, but we're forgiven in Christ, and he's still changing us. So we're not perfect. And also during this time, one of the cool things we do at our church is that we have the leaders in our church kind of spread out on the corners here, the elders, pray for people. And so if you have some physical problems, symptoms, we'll anoint you with oil and we'll pray for you. But if you've got any problems, anything you want prayer for, we're willing to pray for you. But this morning, I want to put this special extra attention emphasis on those of you in here who have a hard time being gentle. So if that's you, if you have a hard time being gentle, special prayer come up for you. Because I, I, just, I just want to say this. There's this common phrase, those who are wounded wound others. Those who are hurt hurt others. And you may not know where you're meanness comes from, but chances are someone was mean to you, wounded you, hurt you. And you need to know there is a gentle Jesus that's here to help you, to love you, to be merciful to you, not to squash you. There's a great, 
great passage that refers to Jesus in the book of Matthew. Matthew 12, 20 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. Those of you who have been abused and used will not be broken here, will not be snuffed out by Jesus, because Jesus shows compassion and care. And so if that is you, the wounded one who wounds, we want to pray for you. So let us now go to the Lord with tender hearts and a humble mind and remember his work on the cross and resurrection to forgive us and the ongoing work of his spirit to change us.